After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, then he said to him, So shall your offspring shall be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know what I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring shall be your sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be their servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant to Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kinzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Sometimes we should give our scripture readers a round of applause after some of the. She asked if she was pronouncing her mind. I just said, if you get in trouble, just give Hermeshites. Hermeshites. Just kind of mumble it. And... But that was well done. This is our last uh, uh, sermon, our last week in our Advent series. And a new year uh, is upon us. And as a new year approaches, certainly that means that many people are thinking about the future in ways that life, uh, new possibilities for the coming year. I know I certainly have, and maybe you have as well. And actually, this might be, in fact, the most hopeful week of the entire year as people think about ways that the future is open with new possibilities and ways that life could be different. Now... Uh, two weeks from now might be the most discouraging week of the entire year because studies have shown that within the first two weeks of any new year, 80% of all New Year's resolutions have already ended in complete and utter failure. I've been there too, and I'm sure you have as well. But as we start off this morning, might we admit this to be true, that there's a massive chasm between our hope and our ability there's a tremendous chasm between the future that you desire and your ability to obtain it. Life is not easy to change. 
and yet we are stuck with a tremendous desire for it to change. And Abram, in our passage this morning, is in the exact same place. He desires a good future. He was promised a good future. Yet obtaining that future seems impossible given the situation that he is now in. The future he longs for is set against these seemingly impossible circumstances that he can do nothing about. But then God comes to Abraham, or Abram, I'll probably make that mistake again, Abram in our passage, and he invites him into a life of faith that's built on his promises to him. It's a new future built on what God has promised and ways that he would bless him. Now, that same invitation is offered to you as you consider the new year. But that future is only available to you and it's accept- or that future is only accessible by faith. So as we consider that this morning, we have to ask two questions. First, what is faith? And secondly, what does it mean to live by faith? So what is faith and what does it mean to live by faith? So to start off, I'd like you just to walk with me for a sec, because I'd like us to get a sense of the world that Abram lived in leading up to this point, all right? In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see mankind go into a completely downward, hopeless spiral. They start off in the paradise of Eden where life is just utter bliss. Then they sin, and sin enters into the world, and the world becomes cursed, And they are kicked out of the garden, and they are now stuck in a cold, harsh, unforgiving world with no hope of ever getting back that bliss for which they were created in the garden and cut off from the presence of God. And then within one generation, one brother has already killed another. And as mankind grows, they only grow in rebellion and violence and sinfulness where by the time you get to Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel, mankind is scattered across the face of the earth. And they're more rebellious, more wicked than ever, and they are completely, utterly cursed. And the future of mankind, if you think about it, the future of mankind in this broken world was certain and concrete, which is this. Life is hard. Life is now painful. And whatever goodness you were fortunate enough to experience, in the end, it doesn't matter. Death is going to rob you of it all. And it's going to rob your children and your children's children. And it's going to take it all in the end. The future was set. Then we get to Genesis 12. After centuries of silence, God begins a new work of redemption through Abram. And it began with a call for Abram to leave his country, to leave his family, to leave his security, to leave his inheritance, and go to a new place that God would show him. And with that calling came a promise. And that promise was that God would make Abram into a great nation. He would make his name great, and that through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Abram answers that call, and he leaves his former life behind. So... What are we witnessing here in this moment? God enters into the world, and he now offers a new future. And who's going to turn that down? Abram, I would like to make your name great. I'd like you to be a blessing to the entire world. (laughs) Absolutely. 
Why not? That was easy. I'd love to. That sounds wonderful. So, of course, he goes. The future certainly was open with the possibilities. Certainly he was excited each month, waiting for Sarah to tell him the good news that she was pregnant and that these promises were getting underway. But then we fast forward over a decade. We get to Genesis 15, and we see that there's a problem. God's promises in the future he offered Abraham have hit a seemingly immovable obstacle. The circumstances have changed, and we hear it in verse 1. God comes to Abram in a vision. He says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house, is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring. Now, what is Abraham really saying here? He's offering his lament to God. This is a bitterness of soul. The reason we know that is because whenever you see Lord God in Scripture, it's the highest written form of reverence of the name of God that you'll come across. And when it's used in Scripture, it's most often used in lament, a crying out of the soul to God. And in Abram's lament, what is he saying? He's saying it's not possible. Sarai is barren. She can't have children. I have no heir other than my slave. So what good is it, you know, what good is it? What could, what could you possibly bless me with? Because even if you do, when I die, it's just going to go to someone else. Why bless my house whenever when I die, my house ceases to exist? Do you hear that sadness in Abram's response? This situation he can't do anything about. Started off hopeful, but he doesn't sound hopeful anymore, does he? And some of you know that very particular sadness very well. And the reality of this broken and harsh world weighs very heavily upon Abram. Where the barrenness of Sarah's womb month after month, year after year, has just produced a barrenness of soul in Abram that slowly chipped away at his hope for the future. Because this is not the future that he signed up for. Now, if we pause there, what future did you sign up for? What future did you sign up for on your wedding day? What future did you sign up for whenever you first heard you were having children? What future did you sign up for whenever you applied for that job or started your own business or made that financial investment? Certainly you were hopeful, were you not? Hopeful that your marriage would be godly and that it would be built on a self-sacrificial love. Maybe you were hopeful about your kids, not wanting to maybe make the same mistake as your parents, wanting to give them a better life than you had, not wanting them to see the same brokenness that you had to see growing up. Or maybe you imagine that the age you are now, you'd be far more mature in your faith than you are. And we're hopeful in those moments in life. Why? Because you wanted good things. You wanted good things for yourself and for those you love. But then life hits hard, doesn't it? It presents circumstances you didn't know were coming. The hope of children is met with barrenness or a difficult child. The hope of a blessed marriage is met with betrayal and loneliness. The hope of blessing is met with a dead-end job. The hope of a strong faith is met with an addiction that you can't seem to shake. A phone call from the doctor Someone runs a red light. 
a diagnosis. Your boss calls you into his office. Circumstances change in a broken world. And I don't say these things so that we can just say how miserable life is. I say these things because we live in the same broken world Abram lived in, which means that you are always going to be met with circumstances that you didn't ask for and that you can't get rid of and you can't do anything about. And those circumstances can easily feel like immovable obstacles to the new life that God has promised you. And when you start to look at those circumstances, you start to believe those circumstances are what determine your future. That is what your future holds, is what your circumstances tell you. So yeah, God, I would love new life, but don't you know who I'm married to? Don't you know the situation I'm in? Don't you know how my family is? Don't you know my weakness? Don't you know what I've done? Your promises sound great, but don't you know the situation I'm in? And slowly it chips away at the hope you have for what life could look like as time goes on. And when that starts to happen, faith starts to die. And when you you absolutely know faith is dead, whenever the chorus of your heart begins to sing over and over again, this is just how things are always going to be. Nothing's ever going to change. Life will always be this way. Which is why in this passage, Abram speaks for us all. When he struggles between two completely different futures, the lifeless future the world guarantees in the end, and the extraordinary future that God promised him that felt impossible. And he comes to God in his lament, and he says, God, how could any of, these, how could any of your promises come true in the midst of these circumstances? Of course, I'd love to have the life you promised, but don't you know the situation I am in? For this to happen, life has to come from nothing. There's nothing there. Life has to come from a place of death. And in verse 5, God, just in a very tender and merciful way, ministers to Abram. What's he say? He leads him outside and he says, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. And I think the significance of this moment is that God draws Abram's attention to the one who is making the promises and the power that he possesses. It's the kind of power that speaks something out of nothing. It's the kind of power that spoke innumerable stars that he's gazing at in innumerable galaxies into existence with a single word. And it puts Abram to a question. Which has more power in your life? Your circumstances or me? Which is more determinative of your future? your circumstances, or me. If all of these stars are exactly where I want them to be, then what makes you think that any circumstance in your life has gotten outside of my control and is not exactly where I want it to be? And this is where faith really begins, and I think it's where faith actually began for Abraham. Verse 6 says that Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And the Bible does not use those words lightly. But what happened? On the outside, nothing had changed in Abram's life. Circumstances were still the same. He was still an old man, and the Hebrews would say that he was as good as dead. And Sarai was still barren. But on the inside, everything had changed. 
Because now his heart said, I believe you. I don't believe in you. I believe you. And I trust the promise that you have for me. I trust in the future that you have for me. And in that moment, that future became accessible by faith. Because Abram in this moment, his life is now reoriented around the promise giver instead of the obstacles to those promises. Which means that he's no longer focused on how extraordinary these promises are when they're set against his circumstances. Now he sees that the one who makes the promises is the one who's extraordinary. And God comes to Abraham in this moment, and he realizes that he's in a place where the goodness and the new life that he desired could only be brought about by the power and the kindness, the goodness and mercy of God. And maybe that's why you're in the circumstances you are, so that you might actually see who it is that makes promises to you. Because it's so easy to say, wow, those are pretty extraordinary promises, and then compare them with your circumstances in life and say, that's not for me. And you completely forget who it is that has made these promises to you. And they are accessible by faith. So what is faith? Faith is trusting in the future that God has for you, and that that future is built on the promise of new life, despite what your circumstances tell you. Faith is an extraordinary thing. And in this passage, you know, right here, it seems to stop. That verse, verse 6, it will take the rest of the scriptures to unpack faith. But in that moment, we can see what it is. And as this passage goes on, it's into this theophany in verses 7 through 21. It helps us understand what living by faith is. Not just a moment of faith, but to live in a way where faith is constantly your practice, where you constantly keep the promise giver in front of you, and you pursue him. And we see it in this theophany in 7 through 21, verses 7 through 21, verse 7. God reminds Abram of him being called out of Ur of the Chaldeans and of the promise to give him this land. And then Abram asks him the question. He says, how am I to know that I will possess it? Because you have to remember this land that God promised is still filled with enemies. It's not vacant. And so God answers him by telling Abram to get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a couple turtle doves, and a couple pigeons. Okay? So things are starting to get a little weird, right? But not only to us, not to Abram. Abram seems to know exactly what God is up to. Because he goes and he gets the animals and he cuts them in half, except the birds, and then he lays them in two piles side by side. Now, what are we witnessing here in this incredibly bloody, gruesome scene? What it is, is it's a covenant-making ceremony. In ancient times, when two parties wanted to enter into an agreement or a covenant, how could you do that without paper and an ink pen, without a contract? How could you contractually obligate anyone to do anything without that? Well, that's what this covenant-making ceremony was about. And the way it worked is that each of the parties included, after they chopped up these animals and laid them side by side, each of, each of the parties included would then pass through between the two piles through the blood. And what that symbolized was that each party in the covenant was saying, may I be just like these animals and cut apart and fed to the birds if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. 
a covenant was a very serious thing to engage in. Because to enter into a covenant, you are essentially saying that if I don't keep my responsibility for this covenant, then I forfeit my life. Okay? And then we see after this covenant, or after all of this is prepared, there's a deep sleep that falls on Abraham, and then this darkness settles upon him. And God is in this darkness. And he tells Abram in verses 13 to 16 what is going to happen to his promised offspring. And he's telling them that they will be enslaved for 400 years, but eventually God will execute judgment. He's going to deliver them and bring them and lead them back through the wilderness to the promised land. So he's talking about Moses and the the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. So now we get to the theophany. God's presence appears as a smoking fire pot and also a flaming torch as it passes through. Now, this is a mysterious passage, but I think we know what these two things represent in light of the fact that the context is him talking about Abram's descendants in the Israelite exodus. Because the word used here in this theophany for smoke and the word for flame are the same words that are used to describe the way that God led Israel through the wilderness in the pillar of smoke by by day and the pillar of fire by night. God is saying this is how how the Israelites would find God and that they would follow him by faith to the promised land. So, how does this help us understand what it looks like for us to live by faith? Well, notice what we saw with Abram earlier and how God would reveal his presence and his power to him. He would reveal it in opposition to the circumstances that Abram found himself. There was a dead womb, and yet through it, God would produce life. Now, if you consider this theophany and how God would lead the Israelites, we see the same thing, do we not? In the daytime, God would appear as thick smoke or darkness, And in the nighttime, he would appear as fire or as light, both of which are always leading them to the place of promise, both night and day. Now, again, what are we seeing? God is revealing himself to his people in opposition to the circumstances they find themselves. So I think we can say this. For you to walk by faith is to find God's presence in contrast to the circumstances you find yourself that God is working in your life in some way in opposition to the way that you think life is. So, what does that look like? Well, where are you at right now in life? What does life feel like? Does it feel like day? Does, or does it feel like night? If you find yourself in a dark season, then to live by faith means that you need to find God in the light. And if you find yourself in a good season, and it feels like daytime, then to live by faith, you need to find God in the darkness. Now that I've utterly confused you, what does that look like? Well, first, let's consider when life feels dark. It feels like nighttime. Maybe you're someone that struggles with depression and melancholy and feels trapped in a dark night of the soul. 
Maybe you're someone that struggles with anxiety, always expecting the worst to happen, waiting for the other shoe to drop, and so you cringe your way through life. Or maybe you're someone who struggles with negativity and pessimism, always thinking the worst of people, always thinking the worst of every situation, and always thinking the worst of yourself. And you feel like you are trapped in a spiritual night that will never lift and become day. Now, if that's you, then to live by faith is to find God in the contrast to the circumstances that you think you are in. You need to find God in the light, which means that you need to find God in the light of his word. And I don't mean to suggest that just because you start reading the Bible that all of that stuff is going to magically go away. But what I do mean is that you need another voice speaking into your life. You need to start listening to some new promises. And God says that his scriptures are his voice speaking to you. Because when you are in a dark night of the soul, when you struggle with depression and anxiety and pessimism and negativity, then the voice you listen to the most is your own. You become your own prophet. You're the one who interprets every circumstance and what life is going to be like. You're the one that says that there's no joy for you. Your marriage could never be different. Tragedy's just around the corner. You're not good enough. People will never love you. People will never see you for who you really are. And that is not living by faith. It's actually living by fate. And it's a fate that you decide for everything and everybody and how life is going to be. Which means to live that way is to live with a future that's closed. It's set. Because it's... It's set because it's not open to the possibility of new life that God would offer to you, which is why you need another voice in your life. Because God says his word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. That it is living and it's active and it's able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And when you get in a dark night of the soul, your voice becomes really loud and you need a far more powerful voice to speak against it. And the only voice that that can be is God himself. And he's given you that voice in his word. And it's exactly what your fearful, chaotic heart needs. There is a light that has entered into this world that the darkness cannot overcome. Do you believe it? By faith. Now, on the other hand, maybe you're a person that feels life is in a good place right now. That's fantastic. Don't we all want to be there? You feel blessed. Life feels like a good spring afternoon. There hasn't been a lot that you've had to worry about recently. Or maybe you're the type of person that, you know, you feel like life is a party. We should just enjoy ourselves. Hashtag YOLO. You know, we should not dwell on the negative. Live life to the fullest. Life should be about enjoying the sunshine and not dwelling on the negative. And if that's you... Then, you, then for you to live by faith means that you need to find God in contrast to the circumstances that you think that you are in, and you need to find him in the darkness. Because living as though the goal of life in Christianity is to get your own house in order and get to a good place and then just kick back and wait for eternity, that's not Christianity. Our culture will tell you that's the gospel, but it's not what the Bible tells us is just to say, hey, you know, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's taken care of. Now the goal of my life is to just store up as much comfort 
and security as I possibly can. But that's not Christianity. That's not faith. That's a ministry of relaxation where you are the prime beneficiary of all the blessing. And when you live that way, your future is closed. It's set because it's not open to the possibility that God might actually give you something far better than the things that you want for yourself. And instead, you need to remember your own calling. Remember that you were called out of this world and into another world. And you were given a ministry of reconciliation to step into the darkness, the suffering, the brokenness of this world, and to go to the hurting, the outcast, the poor, the lost, and to minister to their needs and tell them that their future is not hopelessly set, that there is a new future of new life available to them in Jesus Christ. And it's only accessible by faith. Because stepping into the darkness is exactly where Jesus promises to meet us, does he not? That's why you'll never hear somebody stand up here and say, you know what, my life radically changed as soon as I decided to never go to India. You hear the complete opposite year after year. I stepped into the darkness and I had my life changed. I was affected in a way that I never expected. Why? Because Jesus promises to meet you there. It's why he says, if you do unto the least of these, when you step into the needs of those around you, whether it's your neighbor or it's those in India, he says, you are doing it unto him. And on top of that, you are participating in the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham thousands of years ago that his descendants would be a blessing to the nations. God offers you a far greater rest, a far greater joy, and a far greater comfort when you are willing to follow him into the darkness. Do you believe it? Living by faith is what we are all called to do and to remember who it is that has called us and made promises and who it is that offers new life. Yet living by faith is hard because sometimes our circumstances seem immovable. They seem impossible. And they seem like they will determine our future and we focus on them far more than we focus on the one who makes those promises to us. But in that failure, God knew that we would fail. He knew that we would fail in this passage, which is why the last and most important thing about it is what we see in this theophany. If you noticed, only God goes through. Abraham never passes through between the two piles, which means that God is taking on himself the full responsibility to bring about the completion of his covenant and his promise to Abraham and to all of his descendants, which means that he is also taking on the full responsibility if he were to fail or if Abram and his descendants were to fail, which is why we celebrate Advent, because Christ came to bear the punishment of this covenant, and he was ripped apart on the cross, set in the grave to make good on what he promised. Now, might that give you hope in this new year at the new life that's possible for you? When you see God's commitment to giving you a new future filled with new life, new hope, new joy, new identity, new purpose, new meaning. But that future is only accessible by faith. 
And it's only accessible by the faith of Abraham that doesn't just see extraordinary promises set against extraordinary circumstances. But it's the faith that sees that the one who promises is extraordinary. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our failure before you is just daily, every second. To live by faith is hard. To always trust that you are with us. To always trust that you are working all things together for good for those who put their trust in you. And yet your word tells us